Well, we're starting a new series this morning uh, called The Seven Churches of Revelation. Uh, and I am really excited to be able to dive into this. This is a series that I've been wanting to do for a really long time. Uh, and I've, we've kind of, I just want to do it. So I'm pulling the trigger on it. We're going to run with it. And uh, this is, I think it's going to be fun as we, as we talk about it on Sunday mornings and as we go through it in our small groups. Uh, we're going to be spending the next seven weeks taking a look at the seven letters that we find in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3 to these seven churches uh, in Revelation. Uh, and at first, I just want to give you a little context here. This, this Revelation was written around A.D. 95 one, uh, to 100. Uh, at this point in time, there are probably well over 100 churches in existence. Uh, I mean, Paul has planted dozens. The other apostles have probably done the same thing. And so, uh, you know, even before we start, these, these questions begin to arise. Why is there only seven letters? Why are there only seven churches? We'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's written by, written by John. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, who wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. We get this revelation. And John, at the time of writing this, is exiled on the island of Patmos, and he's, he's, he's just there by himself, exiled on this island, and he begins to have a vision. He's praying, he's seeking God, and he has a vision. So we're going we're gonna to start this morning, even though the first church is in chapter 2, we're going to start this morning in chapter 1. We're just going to kind of read through chapter 1 together and talk about it. Uh, but it's, if you're in one of our pew Bibles on page 1062, uh, if you have your own book of Revelation, chapter 1, two thoughts as you turn. I want to just, just make this clear as we begin. The first one is this. Even though we are in Revelation, this is not a series about end times. This is not an end time series. I'm not going to be talking about rapture. I'm not going to be talking about any kind of theories as to when Jesus is coming back. This is not what that series is about. This, this series in the first three chapters of Revelation is about our church now. We're going to look at some warnings that Jesus, from the, straight from the mouth of Jesus, that Jesus is giving these seven churches and, and we're going to try and glean what we can from these warnings and heed these warnings together. And, and the second thing I want you to do as we get going in this series, I just, I really want you to join a small group. <laughs> I really want you to join a small group. Get in a small group, and this is going to be a lot of fun. Revelation chapter 1 is where we're going to begin this morning. And we are going to start uh, in, in verse 1. We'll just start at the beginning here, and we're going to read for a little bit. <clears throat> Revelation 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what soon must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of, from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of, and priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. 
Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And we begin to get into John's vision here, but I don't want to lose sight of what is happening here. We're, we're, God is establishing who he is. I am, I was, I will always be. I'm the beginning, I'm the end, I'm the alpha, I'm the omega, I am God. And here's this vision that he gives to John. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the, of the word of God and on the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Theatra, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. I want you to just, just hear this imagery and realize this is John talking about what he sees when he turns and looks at Jesus. This Jesus who's holding the stars in his hand. Walking among the lampstands, which we'll read about in a second. If you're curious about what that means, we're going to keep reading here. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Isn't it just like God to start a conversation like that? Don't be afraid. Where have we heard that before? Joshua? Mary? All throughout scripture. Angels, what do they lead off with? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He, he leads off this conversation, this vision to John with these words, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. Here's, here's what you're seeing, John. I want you to know what you're seeing. I don't want there to be anything, any confusion as to what you're seeing, John. Remember, this is straight from the mouth of Jesus. This is what you are seeing. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And then we get in to these seven churches. I think it's interesting that first, John, John hears the voice of Jesus and he turns around and he, he sees Jesus. And what an amazing sight to see Jesus in this way. He's holding the stars. He's walking among these churches. And this is, this is not a mystery. Jesus doesn't want this to be a mystery to John. He wants John to know exactly what he is seeing so he can communicate clearly what Jesus is revealing to him in this revelation. Look, I'm holding up these 
these angels, these messengers to the churches, and I'm walking among these lampstands, the churches, and then he begins with these seven letters to these seven churches. It's interesting, like I said earlier, there are most likely, pretty certainly, many more than seven churches at this time. Paul has, has gone throughout his ministry, and he has planted dozens of churches. The other apostles have gone their own ways and, and, and planted churches. The church is exploding at this point. So why, why just write to seven churches? I had that question this week as I was kind of researching for this series, and I, I had that question. Why, why just seven? Why not write just a general letter to all churches, right? Why not just say, like, this is what I see in, in the church? I think it's, it's very clear that Jesus has a message for these seven churches very specifically. You can't read these seven letters and not think, man, that is a very specific message for a very specific time, for a very specific place and a very specific congregation. But at the same time, each and every single one of these letters, I think, can, can apply straight into the here and now. We can look at the warnings of these churches and we can see exactly what is going on in these churches. And we can see exactly what was going on then is still happening now. And so we can heed these same warnings that Jesus was giving to these churches. He gives them to Ephesus. He gives them to some other places. We're going to go over, go over Ephesus today. It's interesting to me also that, that some of these churches that we're going to read about are, are kind of MIA in the New Testament. They're not really there. There's a couple that are, but we don't really read about the church of Philadelphia or the church of Sardis or some of these other ones. Pergamum is not really mentioned in the New Testament. There are a couple that are. We, we hear about Laodicea, but the one that he leads off with is one that is, that is unmistakable if you've read the New Testament. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. There is a, a whole book of our Bible that is a letter written by Paul to the church of Ephesus. It's called Ephesians. So we know a little bit about the church in Ephesus. We know a little bit about what they were struggling with. We know a little bit about that. We know a little bit about the background of Ephesus. See, Ephesus was a, was a big town. Ephesus was probably the biggest town in the whole area. There were about 250,000 people there. At the time, it was a port city. Now it's kind of landlocked because of the, the silt deposits have kind of pushed it farther and farther from the river. But it was, a, it was a port city at this time. It was an important port city at this time. And as a port city, it was a kind of a melting pot for, for all kinds of different cultures and religions as people came to this area for work, for food, for, for trade. This was, a, this was a big spot here. Not only was it a big spot, there was the, the Roman rule here was, was notorious. The Caesar at the time really thought that he was God. And he wanted to be worshipped like a God. He built his own temple so that people could come and worship him. Right? And, in, and in Ephesus, there is, a, there is a temple to the god Diana, Artemis. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. That's, that's here. Right? And this is, this, is, this, is, this is a very pagan place. And so with that in mind, he begins to write this letter to Ephesus. And here's what he says. To, this, to the angel of the church 
in Ephesus write this. These are the words of Him who holds the seven stars in His right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. These are the words of God. These are the words of Jesus. Make no mistake about this, Ephesus. This is who is writing to you. This is God. God is writing to you. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Then he begins to commend them. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Jesus commends this church in Ephesus for their faithfulness. You've been faithful to me. You have worked hard. You have endured hardships. It talks about your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. The, the original language here is, is just slightly different. The, the uh, hard work is really the word for, for labor, but this word is really about, it's kind of enduring a beating. There's some grief that is kind of driven into this word. There's a hard time here. This is not a, a joyful word. This is not a fun kind of hard work. This isn't like I, I'm working hard at work for a purpose. Like this is like there's been some grief in this hard work. This is not, a fun, this is not an easy kind of work. This is, this is it's labor. But then he talks about, about perseverance. And this word for perseverance is, just has hope all throughout it. It's about just uh, enduring with a patience and, and hope. So he's saying, like, look, I, I see your labor. I see all the things that you've gone through. I see all of, the, all of the hard things that you've gone through. I've seen the grief that has stricken you. But you have endured with hope. You've come out on the other side hopeful still. And I've, I see that in you. I see that. You've, you've tested teaching that, you, that, you've, that have tried to pull you away from the gospel. Later he talks about the, the Nicolaitans, which is one of these people that are trying to pull them away from the gospel. You've tested these people. They were claiming to be apostles, but you tested and you know that they're not. You're, you've been faithful. I mean, really, if you, if you were just to, to see this, just this part, just this paragraph, just these two verses, I mean, here's what you get. You get a picture of Ephesus being kind of just a, a rock of faithfulness in Ephesus. This church has been faithful. They've worked hard. They've endured They've done the right things. They've tested the people they needed to test. They've come out on the right side of things. This is a church that has been faithful. But he continues, and he has this, this critical message for them. Yet I hold this against you. Verse 4, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. You've been faithful, but you've forgotten. You have the what, but you forgot the why. 
You've worked hard. You've been patient. You've gotten through all of these. You've done all the right things. You've tested the people that need to be tested, but you've forgotten the why. James Hamilton writes this about this passage. It says, uh, Revelation 2, 1 through 7 teaches us that the great commandment matters to God. Jesus identified our greatest obligation as wholehearted love for God, which declares to us that God is not pleased by, by dutiful obedience that does not flow from love. There is, a, there is a sense here that even though these people have been faithful, even though these people have done the right thing, even though these people have, have done the right, they've, they've tested the people, they've come out on the right side of things, they've forgotten the why, they have forsaken their first love. You've forgotten. You're not fully devoted to me. You've forgotten what it felt like to be in love with me. You've, you've forgotten. And so he continues here with kind of, a, kind of an exhortation to them. Consider, verse 5, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Kind of sandwiches this exhortation. Look, you, you've forgotten what it means to love me. But I want to encourage you. <laughs> you've been faithful. And even on the backside, you continue to be faithful. But this one thing I hold against you you have forsaken your first love. You have forgotten your first love. And he says you need to repent. You need to, you need to repent on this. And you need this, this word consider. Consi uh, <clears throat> let's see this word. Consider how far you have fallen. That The word is remember how far you have fallen. And it's not just a one-time remembrance. This is a word in the Greek that says, uh, it's like always remember. You need to always be remembering how far you have fallen. Always be remembering where you were then and where you are now. Always be considering this. Always be remembering this. And if not, if you, if you do not repent, if you do not get back to that place, if you do not remember, I will come to you. And this isn't like the good kind of coming that we read about in the end of Revelation. This is like, I will come to you. This is like your parents saying, like, don't make me come over there, right? This is like, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from you. What is he saying to this church? Hey, if you, I know that you have been faithful, but you've forgotten your love for me. You've forgotten where, you, where we were when this first started. And if you don't repent, if you don't turn around, if you don't come back to where we started, if you don't come back to this love that we have, this church will cease. Remember, this lampstand is not about people. This, is, this lampstand represents the church. And that's not from my mind. That's straight from the mouth of Jesus in, in chapter 1. He's explaining what these lampstands are to John. He says the lampstand is the church. I will come and I will remove this lampstand from you. I don't know about you. This is, this is, a, this is kind of a, one of those warnings that just kind of I feel. 
I feel, I think this is one of these warnings that if there is anything, if any one of these warnings, there are a few that apply really well to our culture in the church today. I think this is one. You've been faithful. You've endured hardships for my name. You have tested the teaching that is coming to you. And you've persevered. You've come out with hope on the other side. But I have this against you. You've forgotten your first love. You've forsaken your first love. Saying, church, I, I have seen your faithfulness. I've seen your hard work. I've seen your perseverance. Look, I even see the gospel is spreading, and, and, and I, but I hold this against you. You've forgotten your first love. You've forgotten what it felt like to receive me and to know me. And, and I want you to just, just think about this real quick. I want you to just close your eyes with me. And I want you to remember Think back if there was a moment in your life when you just fell madly in love with Jesus. I want you to think about that moment. Think about your heart in that moment. Think about your mind in that moment. Think about the actions that drove you coming from that moment. Think about the emotions that you felt in that moment. Have you forgotten? Do you remember how passionate you were when you first came to the Lord? Do you remember how excited you were to share with everybody that you met? when you first came to the Lord? Do you remember waking up early just to get a little extra time with God in the morning? Do you remember staying up a little late just to read some more? Do you remember driving in the car and turning the radio off just so you can spend some time in prayer with God? Do you remember? I think the same call that Jesus has to this church in Ephesus, this, this look, you've been faithful, but, but I think you've forgotten. You've forgotten your first love. You've forsaken your first love. I think this, this same warning can be for us today. I know it's for me today. Look, you've been faithful, but you've forgotten, Chris. You've forgotten what it felt like to be madly in love with me. You have, you've forgotten what it's like. You don't live like it anymore. You've been faithful, but I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. But Jesus, being Jesus, gives them a way out. I hold this against you, but here's what you need to do. First thing he calls them to do, remember. Remember. He says, remember the things that you did at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Consider, remember how far you've fallen. Remember, remember what it felt like then, and then look at your life now and just consider that. 
And keep on considering that. Never stop considering that, Jesus says to this church in Ephesus. And he says to you today, see, you remember how it felt when you first came to Christ? Do you know how you feel now? Is there a difference there? If so, let's keep considering what that felt like and let's try and get back there. Let's try and go back. Let's try and remember our first love. Let's try and remember what it felt like to, to really truly live for Jesus, to really truly give our lives and give our all to Jesus. Let's, let's remember. He calls us to remember. He also says to repent. Repent. I don't know about you, I was, just, I was struggling this week to even, as I was reading this message to this church, just in, personally, in my own life. I need to repent. I haven't been in the same kind of love with Christ as I was when I first came to him. I haven't been doing the things that I did at first. I haven't been anticipating my time in the word and anticipating my time in prayer with God like I used to. Maybe you're in the same boat. And we just need to all repent together this morning and say, look, God, I, I know I've been faithful in the past, but I've, I've forgotten and I repent this morning. God, I am, I am sorry for walking away like I did. I'm sorry for putting a gap in between us. I'm sorry for letting silly little things get in between me and you. I'm sorry for, for letting these, these things get in the middle of my relationship with you. I'm sorry. And I just want to keep in mind where I used to be. And God, I'm sorry I'm not there anymore. And the third thing that Jesus says in this, in this passage, do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. What were those things for you? Do you remember what it was like when you first came to Christ? Do you remember all the things that you did? Remember the passion that you had? Do those things, Jesus says. And Jesus looks at this church in Ephesus, a church that has the potential to make a huge impact in a big city for Christ. Sound familiar? And he says, look, you've been faithful. You've endured hardship for my name. I see your hard work. I see your labor. I see your perseverance. I see all that you have done. I see that you, you know my word enough to test the people that are speaking my word to you. You know me. But you've forgotten your first love. I don't know about you. I don't want to be a church that Jesus can say this to. I don't want our church to be the church that Jesus comes and he says, Look, you've been faithful. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. 
You have persevered. You've endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Like, amen to this. Like, I can imagine this church reading this, like, hearing the words of Jesus to them from this angel, from this messenger, and just being like, yes. Thank you, Jesus, for it. Like, yes, we have, we are good, right? Like, this is, this is what we're saying. Like, Jesus, thank you for this compliment. And then Jesus kind of breaks this. He goes, but I have this against you. You've forgotten. You've forsaken your first love. You've forsaken me. Remember, consider how far you've fallen. Repent, do the things you did at first. And if you don't, and this is the, 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 the warning part of this, if you don't, if you don't change, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Quickly the mood goes from, yeah, to, ooh. I don't know about that one. I don't know about that. But here's the, here's the good news. Is that if we can do this, if we can remember how we felt when we first came to Christ, if we can remember the passion that we held in that moment, if we can remember the things that that relationship drove us to, the hunger for the word, the just desire to hear from God in prayer, if we can remember that, there's good news at the end of this. Verse 7 says, Whoever has ears to hear, or whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the end. Go. You remember that passion that you had? Remember all those things that, that it made you do in your life? It says the people who are victorious the people who can, who can look back and say, I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten this first love that I have. I haven't forgotten the love that I had for you, God. I, I, it's driven me, and it has, it has made me who I am today. I, I need more of you. I need your love. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need you. I want more of you. If we can have that sort of relationship with God, the promise in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, is that we get paradise in heaven. We eat from the tree of life. We live for eternity with Jesus in heaven. Is there a better outcome? No. No, there's not. There's not a better outcome than that. This is what it means. And so I just want to call us in the same way that the church in Ephesus was called. Look, we have been faithful. We've labored. We have done some hard work. We've done some hard things, and we have persevered. But my prayer this morning is that if, if you've forgotten the passion and the love that you had for God, that you would remember, that you would repent that you would do the things that you did at first. And that we would know that the outcome of that is none other than an eternal life with Jesus in heaven.